0: Welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three Dungeon Masters who have been doing this for way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. I
1: took a heavenly ride through our silence. I know the moment had arrived but... And coming back to life.
0: I like it. I don't
1: recognize it. Super deep cut. And I'm also being a little bit of a poser because I'm not really a Pink Floyd fan, but that is a Pink Floyd song
0: uh really? from a 1994 record that's but nice it's actually yeah, yeah yeah that's that's, 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 actually- definitely, that's their jurassic rock phase 1994. yeah it was a super cool song though so i was like okay i dig this one I, all uh, right yeah, all right cute. what's it called coming back to life Coming back to life, and that is exactly what we're all trying to do as vaccines begin to spread, COVID is winding down, all the Three Wise DMs, I think, are vaccinated or have had COVID, so I think we're all cool. Everyone in our groups is vaccinated, and we're trying to get the games back together live in person. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do you come back from COVID, pulling your games back together to in-person gaming, or do you stay on Roll20? Definitely some advantages, as much as we have knocked it <laughs> over the months of doing this podcast. Mm. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you need to think about? How, how? What should we be worried about? What should we be trying to do as we're trying to bring our games back together? What kind of challenges are we seeing? Dave has done some actual in-person role play, so this we'll talk maniac. about that a little bit, too. That's <laughs> yeah. a maniac. i think tony is officially online feral now we're not going to get him back out of the back out of the roll 20 the sunlight hurts my skin i don't like it (laughs) it always hurt your skin that was always the case there's no difference now
2: part of the deals i made i don't know um currently we're down a game we had five games going we're down to four so when i'm gaming every week there is some Mm -hmm. magic too i come home from work I sit down, I put my pajamas on, I get a cup of coffee, and I log in, and boom, we're going.
0: That's true. You know, because we've really, so I would say for for me at least, now let me know if this is like this for you guys. COVID didn't really feel like I was like missing out on a ton. To me, COVID was like, all right, this year in the lab, we're super productive, we're doing a lot of games, we're launching the podcast. We're I've going. been
1: training for this my whole life.
0: As an I introvert, sure. And I mean, and and I'm a, uh, and as we talked about before, I'm a freelance writer and editor. I work from home anyway. Like I already, you know, I just get assignments and I write them or I edit what I have to edit. And I turn it in. So this to me was really no different other than we didn't go to the movies or go see you people in person very often, which did kind of suck. Yeah. Because on the flip side, my games, the Woodstock Wanderers, we really felt like that was negatively impacted by going online from seeing each other in person but at the same time so while that had a rocky transition and we lost some players and we did lose a game like we lost as a game i would love to bring Hannibal the cannibal back
1: the slaver's uh, bay one yeah right? i would love yeah. to bring
0: slavers bay back now but you know that's the downside the upside is we've very consistently been gaming and the way that that we've been doing our games is basically playing for we were playing five to six games a month we're playing every friday at more or less the same time, like six to twelve, seven to eleven, that kind of time frame. We rotate the games. We have four different games, so every week is a, is another game. At the end of that session, we slot it into the next slot we have. If someone has to skip a week, no big deal. And then we had uh, we had Storm King's Thunder going on Sundays, and I think we had we had something else. One of the other games was going on Saturdays or Sundays on occasion too, wasn't it? Well, we were doing for a while. We were we scaled certain ones back because yeah. we were actually doing we
1: were doing bi-weekly. So we were doing every two weeks with some of the games so that some Saturdays also had to, so we would be doing like D&D weekend kind of things. But as we discussed on several episodes, that definitely started to negatively impact like Woodstock Wanderers again, you know? So it's very dependent on the group, I think, you know, like with the Straub campaign that came out of the Slavers Bay not translating to online, I still really want to do some live games with it, but that's one that. that I feel very comfortable running online too because of the group. And it definitely makes it easier cuz some of the players like Beth are coming from, you know, coming from like Harleysville. So that's becomes yeah. a lot harder, oh, wow. you know. Like yeah. when we did the the board game night what last weekend, right? I think that was like a really cool foray that we had back to getting together and I don't know if I laughed that hard in a night in a long time. Right. And then that translated over because that was, you were introducing us to your one friend who's joined the Call of Cthulhu. And that shit led over onto the online to the point where we totally ruined your horror atmosphere. But that was one of the funnest (laughs) online sessions I've ever had. I was crying.
0: I did not feel like the horror atmosphere was ruined. No, we gotta got no. got catch up on some context there because our listeners are listening to us. And that's gotta be a little confusing if you're not actually in the group. So we have several folks at Harleysville is like a half hour to an hour away. So we and we have had folks in our games who have had the who if had they not been on Roll 20, would have had to travel like an hour, maybe more. Uh the one general, the two of the folks in our From King's Thunders game are really more like an hour and a half away from where we oh, get yeah. So that made a big difference. That was very that that really did help us from that point of view. Let's see the other thing we touched on there. We did recently have a board game night last oh. week. We love these big board games. Uh, this time, I, 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 I harangued everyone into playing Eldritch Horror, which is one of my favorite board games. I don't games. think there was a lot of haranguing. I think we I were all know. like, yep, let's do that Ed one. Game of Thrones was <laughs> definitely in the running. We also that like, supports Game... eight people? Let's do it. Yeah. We, have, we had eight people playing, and very seldom I mean, there's only a few games we have that really support eight yeah. people. And I think it's fair to say that Eldritch Horror technically supports eight people, but it is sure as hell not very well play-tested at eight, because it was... Way too, like, yeah, there were some balance issues. It was way too long, but we had a great time. And I would say yeah. if you do like if you do like Cthulhu Lovecraft Gaming, Arkham Horror, which is the first game fantasy that was released kind of in the same mold. And now Eldritch Horror, which is their kind of a, a, an evolution of Arkham Horror to some extent. They're kind of like role-playing games in a box. They're a lot of fun. They use card decks to randomize encounters and events that happen in the places you are. Highly recommend those if you like Lovecraft gaming. So uh, we did that, and then my buddy Luke, or um, Tony's buddy actually Tony's known Luke longer than I have, joined because that your game. Friend. I mean, he's not <laughs> exclusively <laughs> mine. Tony, Tony, Tony has first rights of refusal on Luke. Uh, <laughs> Luke. I met him when I was 12. That was a minute ago. Right. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, you're talking like 30 years of friendship here. So, But then Luke played the waitress in that game, which kind of became a joke, oh, got very God. funny. And he wound up making his Call of Cthulhu role playing game character. We had him joining that game uh, this past weekend as well. So, back to back weekends, we did the Elder Tara board game and then the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. Which- I think back to back. He took the yes. same character. He, he took the waitress and brought it to Call of Cthulhu, and it was fun. It was very interesting. He nailed he, he, it. He, yeah, he really nailed it. He he really brought a performance. Yeah, the the whole you know yeah. So what you ordering, dearie? You know, yeah, like the, like he, he really he really brought it to the game. It was it was pretty cool. And so we had a great time, and I do think that's a case of in-person gaming making the role-playing game that followed it. Everyone had was more comfortable with each other, and everyone had no a great doubt. time. No doubt.
1: That would have been really weird if we had not been able to meet If, like, you know, myself and Chris and Bonnie had not been able to meet Luke because also he didn't have a video camera on his the laptop he was using. <laughs> he was right? probably naked. So <laughs> that would have been really awkward because now you have this completely unknown person at the ta- at the quote table yeah. right so no that absolutely allowed uh an ease of play i think into the the cthulhu sessions that we had been we've been i don't know 6 7 sessions deep now yeah, at no, least yeah
2: i feel like there's a certain magic in the sauce with humor with these types of games and i actually strongly deep i just ran a marvel game uh a couple of weeks ago and i was not afraid to dip into some humor whenever it was presented why? Because that's fun. If your players are laughing, they're having fun, this game is a success. Yes, yeah. Thorne is presenting with a straight face and terrifying stuff. And the body, like, okay, we pull out the slab, and there's this guy's body, <laughs> and this dude looks like fucking Mr. Bean with his <laughs> teeth sticking out
0: doing that <laughs> meme. He's <It's> like, oh, <laughs> you know, like... That was supposed to be a look of horror.
2: (laughs) It
1: it didn't work for the group, though.
0: We
2: we,
1: we took it away. No, actually,
2: it was the one from The Office, that one meme where the guy is sticking his teeth out. You know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what I thought, and that was one of the many hilarious moments, and that's okay, though. Because, you know, what, if you're running around and pretending to be I'm an ordinary guy, for some reason, I'm obviously insane that I want to be a paranormal investigator or I'm a guy running around in tights that there needs to be a little humor. We can't take ourselves too seriously and not laugh at these moments and still enjoy this game in person
0: or live. I agree. And, you know, to be honest with you, even you can be laughing and having fun and even a dark horror game. Once the insanity starts rolling around, once your character is a blithering idiot and like and is like just kind of sobbing on the floor, I think things get a little more serious. then. You yeah. know, I mean, it, this 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 session didn't have any real sanity scares. It didn't have it had one. It had one. is still afraid of beards.
2: No, I mean, I think, how is that not funny? No, I, mean, I, think I think Thorin's not.
1: right, uh, Thorin's right, because there was we have absolutely played Uh, we have played it. In that when the very serious, horrific insanity parts come up, we kind of shift gears. But I think this was a great um, one because we had done the live board game. So the energy was still there between the group into this. And we were playing in a very kind of in-between adventure leading into the next one. So there was, there was, it was almost like a pressure valve. And I will say... I've been reading up on a—I grabbed a copy of Watsi's new book, The Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. One, because I'm running Strahd, and two, you know, I like books. But um, I'm flipping through it, and this is now the second or third time that they've done it. And I think it's good advice when they talk about running horror games. Because you can find stuff in the DMG about this. You can Mm -hmm. find stuff in uh, Icewind Dale. You can find stuff in Strahd and now in Van Richten's. With running horror games, they specifically list humor as one of the very important ingredients, because if something is, you know, it's like those that idea uh, some people talk about of this upbeat and downbeat. It, it, yeah. You can't have one, only one without the other. There needs to be a back and forth, or else That's it's right just right. a depressing game, or it's, it's easy mode, and it's, you know, oh, it, nothing is serious. The exactly. Thing is if, yeah. if
0: it's constantly if your tension's constantly up. Yeah, because it's kind of a it's a situation where you can't have dark. You can't have light without shadow. Right. You can't you can't mm-hmm. appreciate the light without you can't appreciate the shadows without the light. So if your game is all dark and it never lightens up, the tension no longer feels like tension. It just feels like, well, another grind in this game and it gets boring. You need to the players need to be having fun and they need to they need to be to be having enough fun and be entertained enough that they like their characters enough and they like the other party members enough so that when something bad happens to them, they care. If it's always terrible, you don't care the same way. Dragon Ball Z actually does. Dragon Ball Z did a good job of this, too. If you notice, it's always in Dragon Ball Z. As much as they'll have these, like, 20-episode fights, in between the fights, they'll have these little goofy scenes of, like, you know, Goku going and trying to get his driver's license. The point of those scenes is for you to relate a little bit with the characters so you now care when they're in trouble. And this is the same thing in a horror game. No matter how dark you want to make it, you have to have those lighter games where people are just having a good time so they care when it gets when those characters are under threat. Because otherwise, if it's always dark, there's gonna be like, well, this guy's gonna die anyway. Who cares? Move yeah. on.
1: And I think we've hit that in the Straud campaign too. Not I mean we're we're a little far afield here, but just to kind of uh, finish out the point, I think we've done that in the Stroud campaign the whole time as well, because there have been very specific times where the tension is high and the creepiness factor and all of this. Yeah. But then there's times where it's just the jokes are coming out because that's what happens, you know. But do you ever really trust or want to be around anybody that never jokes? You know? (laughs) I don't think I'd want to adventure with that person, right? (laughs) I wouldn't trust them.
2: And you don't want to be in a stiff game, honestly. If I'm in a session for four to six hours and I don't laugh, I feel like that's a little rough. And I'll take this in a little more of in depth look. I mean, I like to, as you guys have noticed, when I run a game, I like to shift scenes frequently. You're Mm -hmm. not on one screen for too often. When I'm running a campaign, it's not – or even a one-shot game. My article is coming out shortly on that topic. You're not doing all fighting. It's a mix of skill checks and riddles or – I threw a moral dilemma at the party – in a game yeah. i just did here we go you can eat you can solve this easily by doing the bad thing or have the hard road and it may not work out doing the right thing go discuss and you keep changing that up and then you have those serious moments and then you have those tense moments and then you have those funny moments and it's really a good mixture at all the levels that's what really makes not just the sauce but the entire meal
1: yeah. To piggyback on that real quick, Tony too, uh, because this is I'm gonna this this is it. I met Tony right prior to COVID when we were talking mm-hmm. about the podcast, and then things happened, You know, whatever, whatever. Met him a couple times in person. I have yet to be at a live table and have Tony running the game. I have seen how Thorin does. I know Thorin's energy. I can see the the disparity between Thorin's live energy. And Thorin's online energy, and and there's a there's a wide chasm there because you feed Thorin off of that that table mm. energy, especially with certain like the at least the groups that I've seen you run, right? I mean it, it's a little different with with other groups. And Thorin has been at the table when I've run, but I one of the things with live gaming, Tony, is actually to be able to see you in person run one <laughs> and see how that energy is different from online because it is different. It's different for all of us. there's a there's a disparity between our online presence and our live presence, right?
2: One thing that's gonna be really weird for me personally and I've gotten really attached to this I am everything is in Google Notes. It was a Google doc. I'm like handle <laughs> it out. Right. I'm like scene one, scene two. I've, I, I know how many scenes you're to cover. We're taking too long. it's not working out. It doesn't make sense to so taking the, the bait on something. Cut that scene. Move to the next one. It's all right in front of me. I'm not going through a notebook. Like back when I played 4E, back in the day, like, you know, <laughs> I'd have a stack of freaking papers with all these monsters, and I'd be going through them because each of these monsters would have six different abilities. Some recharge. some had auras, some had multi-attack, etc. We certainly didn't remember their stats. Then later, I you know, I'm using I'm going back and forth on my phone. I've got three different apps on there. I've got one with all the spells, one with all the items, and one with all the monsters. So I'm constantly shooting back and forth with that. Now it's all cut and pasted. I take images, I can easily find things like you guys were fighting a certain character. I'm like, let me scroll to that character. Bing, there they are. It's just so convenient. So honestly, if you get me at a table behind my DM screen,
0: it's gonna be a laptop. Yeah. Actually, it's not a bad idea. Why not? But you, know what you can do. I mean, you could. You can bring your laptop and you could. You could run your laptop to the TV. Like Bonnie and Dave's house, there's a TV right next to where they usually used to set up the game, the D and D table. You yeah. could run. You could just tap into that TV and so flash up your ear pictures and Here's stuff.
1: Here's the thing. Here's the thing with that because we actually ran several games that way, both at my apartment and here at the house, and I really thought I ran my Marvel one shot off of that. Uh, we did a Pathfinder a, like short adventure Chris was running off of that, and uh something else too, regardless it's actually surprisingly pulls you away from the table it's a okay. it's a weird energy. What I really wanna do i wanna take one of our extra um one of our extra fly screens and and put it flat on the table <laughs> that's that's one of the plans to create well, i've the, seen uh, I've
0: seen tables like that it's so TTT,
1: cool. yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. you kind of it helps if you have a depression and throw some plexiglass yeah. on top of
1: it. Yeah.
0: Uh, that is so cool, though. I but mean, then you yeah. also literally put your mini
1: onto the TV. Uh, you know, yeah. so, like, yeah. that for me, that's something that I would, because I love tactical maps and all that kind of stuff, like, I would totally be into that.
0: Yeah. Like, I actually, the first time I DM'd Call Cthulhu, I did it from, I, I didn't bring a laptop, but I did bring a tablet because we didn't have the print books. So I was working out of a tablet for the entire thing. And I got to say that actually became a real problem for me because it did pull me out of the out, out of away from the table. And I I missed some things because of that. But that doesn't mean I mean, I do know there are DMs that do that a lot. So it's going to be personal preference. I'm someone who even when I'm DMing in roll 20. I generally just leave the screen on roll 20 and all your smiling faces or, you know, scowling faces or distracted <laughs> faces. And, and, and I still have the books and I'm still doing the books in front of me on my lap. And it's like, yeah. it's it, yeah. so I'm still kind of doing my thing in roll 20. The difference is in roll 20, I spend more prep time prepping visuals, uh, yep. which is some pros and cons, you know, now if we bring Woodstock Wanderers back together, Scott usually provided the maps, which was a great, That worked out great. He would build some awesome things. So, you know, we kind of go back into the teamwork aspect then, I think. Although I haven't really talked to him about that. That's I would imagine that's going back to that. So now I'm not worried about maps. I'm just describing the situation and Scott's putting out map pieces as I describe it. That'll work out well for me. But it's a different it's a different style, you know, everyone and everyone's kind of going to have a different style that way. Tony, might you might love DMing by laptop. I know a lot of DMs do. Like it is. That's not something that's uncommon at all. Because it's kind of like giving a presentation, right? Like if you're presenting in front of a class or something, you usually have a laptop in front of you. You're flipping your slides through. Well,
2: also now, I don't know how you felt about the game I just previously ran, but Marvel, but it was
0: it was good. It was we, had, ter- we had a good. This terrible. <laughs>
2: oh, I mean no. Dave, was, I appreciate uh, the honest feedback though. That's what I I <laughs> need both sides of that. No, it was phenomenal. It was Yeah, it was we all had phenomenal. a great time. Yeah. Uh, thank you. But what I my thing with that is I came out initially said there, I'm going to do this theater of the mind and I felt like there was a gasp in the room like what cuz the previously we had done that all on roll 20 with the maps. Yeah. And I'm like no maps. But I did do visual presentations for each part. So yeah, I would describe. I would still do my full description of the area, how I envisioned it, and then I would throw an image out there. I'm like, this is your this is your area, and I just in my notebook I did have you know, old school there. I had an idea like I'd have like I'd flip to the page where the battle set up, and then I would write where you were, and it had like a like a football <laughs> diagram
0: where everybody was moving accordingly. That's how I always used to do it too. Even when I don't use tactical battle maps, I will often have, if I don't know where everyone is easily, I will draw it in front of me on my notepad so you were basically doing that it's this system isn't as heavy tactics focused to say fourth or fifth is, right yeah it's, it's area where, movement. it's not square movement it's well yeah, yeah it's, it's
2: area yeah. which is a big difference compared to the actual the five foot squares we use in D. and we're not worrying about flanking and opportunity attacks and things like that so yeah. it's much less it's can i get there that's the question or can i hit them with a ranged attack from here
0: so and just a- to just to clarify again for listeners so the way that area movement system works if you haven't used one of those before so the map is carved into different irregular areas if you're in the same area with someone you can melee them if you're and then if you' your movement and your range works off of how many areas away are they so like you might be able to move one or two areas with your movement, or three or four. Your ranged attacks might be at straight up if you're within the same area. Might be you know a little harder if you're one area away. If you're four areas away, that might be twice as hard. So it's just a little hard to wrap your head around. But it's almost like rooms, you know. So yeah, it's it's just like what? different sections of the map, you know. It's it's. What that it's- is-
1: it does get a little difficult when you're running a cosmic campaign and you have characters with high-level abilities where I can shoot my rays like I don't know, 10 miles. <laughs> What's the range on that thing? 10 miles. Cool. I think you can hit them. I don't know it's if any it other game. Right? That's a very
0: game, rare power, to be fair. That's true. <laughs> you, w- w- how far can I shoot it? I can orbitally bombard this. We can just do. We can just do rays yeah, from God out here. I don't uh,
1: know
2: from space.
0: I'm going to go, go out in my spacesuit outside of the ship and I'm just going to just going to nuke them from orbit. That's the only for five, way. Should...
2: For five seconds, I thought about letting you guys find another ship like a really like awesome one. I'm like, they're just going to their problem solving will be orbital bombardments. I mean, like that's, speaking that's thing, in the, speaking, the, you know, doomsdays on
0: the ground. He's like, right. You're shooting from space with phasers. I mean, I mean, speaking in character it's what my character would do Maybe a dirty word, but that is absolutely 1,000% what technocrat would do. 1,000%. That is what that character is. He's going to find the technological solution that lets him shoot it from a long way away. That's <laughs> yeah. If he can nuke something at the beginning of the battle, so he doesn't have to deal with it. He's going to do that. That he's that kind of, he's, he's a little bit that kind of asshole. That's As uh that's technically the fridge. No, well, you know, that's, that's ineffective, right? You know, first he melts the fridge, then he nukes it. So, I mean, you know we're talking about all this though, and I actually just to, to cap that off. I don't know if any I don't know if any systems use area-based movement anymore. This is something that they did. The Marvel superhero role-playing game did in the '90s. I haven't seen it since then. However, Call of Cthulhu doesn't use a grid map. Call of Cthulhu just kind of uses best guess almost. You know, it's like okay, about how far are they? You know, that's. Yeah, I mean, uh, even
1: within the modules themselves, it seems like the drawings of like the cabin are very
0: basic to say room is here yeah.
1: hallway is here kitchen here you know and that is one of the because things it's meant that, to be more imaginative
0: yeah and that's one of the well that's one of the differences between a tactical role play a game role playing game is more tactical and a role right. playing game that is more uh theater of the mind frankly even yeah. though even though I'm throw, you're throwing up even though you're throwing up maps in call of cthulhu and you might use them it's more theater of the mind as far as where things are like your monsters are kind of wherever they need to be well, you know, it you makes sense, too, because you're
1: not tactically combating things in Call of Cthulhu. You're trying to not die and go insane. So, like, the the the, the mechanics of combat are going to be the same, because I'm not coming with a sword and meleeing this thing like Errol Flynn. I'm trying to run yeah. away and shoot my gun so I can hide, right?
0: <laughs> they do have They do have chase mechanics, if you are in a chase. It does use movement. Basically, if the person chasing... The the, the person fleeing, if the chaser has a higher uh, movement, they just catch you. If you have a higher movement, you just get away. If you both have relatively the same movement, there's a whole set of chase mechanics, which you can get into, which can make for really exciting chase scenes. Like if you're both in kind of relatively similar cars or you're both you're like both humans running through like a market in Calcutta or something where you can kind of have, they have mechanics in there to talk about, okay, how do you how do you show that? How do you show trying to slow this guy down versus you trying to get an edge and get out of there? And that does break up into areas, but they're more seen areas. They're not like the Marvel superhero where it's kind of a map yeah. area. Yeah. So with
1: that said, Thor, I mean, like with a system like Call of Cthulhu, it's kind of built in, it's baked into the system where fear of the mind is much more uh, ease of play for the person running it, the keeper who's running it. Now, in D&D, for instance, I love the maps, right? I mean, that's one of the things with Roll20. Yeah, Yeah, that's one of the things with Roll20 that I really enjoy, because especially with something that's a, a published module, Here's all the maps for 20 bucks. Boom. Done. Right. Mm. Um, And I noticed when I came back to live gaming, I was like, oh, crap. I have to, like, have my my pawns ready. I have to have my my map ready. And I didn't didn't do a lot because it was an intro game. Right. It was that session zero. But there was a point where I had to sketch out on my little dry race guy. I had to sketch out the street, you know, where the ghouls kind of attacked and such. But I was like, "Oh man, I have to get back to this point where I now have to kind of plan a little more for the game map-wise cuz I like the maps, right?" I
2: in in theory I like the maps too, but as I've said in a previous podcast, as the person, you know, putting the game together, you've only really got x amount of time to put together a game for everybody. And i found that one of the things I dislike about DMing when I'm required to use a map is I'm detracting my time away from the thought process, bulletproofing my story, providing really good NPC interactions, uh, descriptions. It's going towards what's going on with this map. Now I'm drawing maps. Now I'm looking mm. for figs. And I love figs. Figs are freaking super cool. That's not what I'm saying. But then I'm putting... You know, and honestly, even if I'm doing it in, in what advantage, honest, in, in reality, is if I could just take a piece of graph paper and do a fast sketch, that is, there's time involved. That's not nearly as obnoxious as I'm going on Google, I'm getting an image, I'm bringing it into roll 20, I'm aligning the grid, I'm saying, why is there a plane in this image? Throwing it out, that's not going <laughs> to freaking work. Get another map. Now I'm gonna go get pictures of my monsters, bring them in, put them in position, see where it starts. Now I bring in my my party. Now my party's at the entrance part. The bad guys are in their position, and I've just spent 30 minutes, and I have no story. <laughs> and if you've met me, you know I'm working on the module. I'm running. I'm putting my, the fine tweaks are done, but I'm just looking over the 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 last minute checks before the plane takes off the night of the game. So going just, forward,
1: are you going to are you gonna run mainly theater of the mind or are you gonna do a mixture? Or what what's your what's your thought on that?
2: If we're doing an in person game, it's going to be theater of the mind, preferably. Uh, because honestly, I, I kind of agree with your point that if you put something up on the TV, guess what? Now they're looking at the TV Watch and the now TV. we're yeah, we're now we're away from the table itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: and you know what can I do to offset that? I could put out figs, and I could bring everybody to the table. I do have a fig collection, but now I'm rooting through 300 figs and go, oh man, I knew I had a giant bugbear. Where is my giant bugbear? You know, and that's that's a thing.
0: I I admire your perhaps naive dedication to perfection. <laughs> <laughs> I've given up on all of that. I'm like, what are they gonna say? I don't know. There's, yeah, you see this miner? This miner too- is now the goblin you're fighting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what you were doing. Because uh, Thorin would bring his uh, his minis um, to the Slaver's Bay campaign because he had a, a huge. I, I, I have look Pathfinder pawns that they released, so the little like, like 2D ones. But yeah, and then I would say, okay, you guys walk in and there's like eight and I are like, all right, well this could be a troglodyte, and this and woodstock when well, we started to put out parts of the vegetable tray you know like the broccoli and cheese and stuff was over and <laughs> I, he was I the goblin like there with yeah so
0: well i mean that was in woodstock pretty quickly evolved from we're putting out so that was a little bit of, I wanted to run a theater of the mind. Some of the players really like maps, which worked out. I think, I think in the end we got to a good spot on that, but it was a in the beginning, it was like, look, we're not putting out a map, just try to visualize it. And then players were trying to draw stuff out so they could visualize it. And then we started using cheese and broccoli and cherry tomatoes, as stuff that was on the game <laughs> <laughs> as, as monsters on the board. Uh, and also that Scott, Scott really had the killer closing argument here when he painted everyone a custom mini. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah okay. Okay, okay, we can use minis. I will bring my massive fourth edition minis collection. It's not massive by some by some people's calculation, but it is like an entire like huge Marlboro duffel bag full of minis. Uh, okay. I got enough minis that we can have something stand. i we could have something stand in for anything, and I've got a giant Cthulhu. Maybe I'll try to work in here at some point, just because when you've got a guy run, who's a, he's gonna <laughs> paint
1: custom minis and then he's going to build custom terrain yeah fine. you kind of have to let that let that ride because that's a player investment and then some yeah that's
0: that's that's monetary investment he's purchasing uh fucking materials you know i mean like yeah it's it's not just that you have to let it ride it's like i mean you'd be an idiot not to like it's just it is really cool to have that stuff at the table and have someone doing all that stuff and everyone loves it so yeah You know, if that's the way we're going to work and I don't need to build the terrain, I don't need to make the maps, great. Because I'd sunk a ton of time into that in 4th edition, I didn't want to do it again, and I'd never done it before with, like, 2nd edition. 4th edition, it's not like I'm saying I don't like using maps having never used maps. 4th edition was a lot of my prep for every session. We played that game for years, was drawing maps... Trying to find ways to, draw, to to make the mapping easier. I tried printing out a bunch of dungeon cards. I tried buying dungeon cards. I tried buying different color markers and graph paper, yeah. which is, I think, what we yeah. mostly use towards the end. Trying to find different solutions for minis that weren't, weren't going to cost me an arm and a leg. And eventually, I just wound up with a lot of D&D minis eventually. But, you know, I trying to buy the AC Moore dinosaurs that are going to stand <laughs> in figures and stuff. <laughs> I mean, over a course of years, I went through all that stuff to the point where I'm like, look, now, okay, I have it, I'll use it if it's fun. That process did not add to the game, in my opinion, because what was happening really wasn't, you know, that. Having said that, it was cool to break out. I have a two foot tall Cthulhu Horaclex figure, um, which is awesome. And I did bring that to the table when they fought Cthulhu and that was fun. Uh, so, so, so it's kind of give and take, right? It's like, if it's really cool, it's worth it, but the day to day isn't necessarily worth it. I find that easier in roll 20 than Tony does. Cause in roll 20, I'll find my maps. I'll like kind of just go flipping through Pinterest and find some maps and put them in and then write story around the map. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a little, I go the other way for that reason. So I don't get caught up constantly searching for the perfect anything. I find something I think looks good and, wrap the story around it cuz i have control of the story i can't control what i'll find yeah i
2: two easy uh fixes i found very late in the the whole process for this is you throw your guys on a chessboard and say this is flat terrain. Well, there's of course there's gonna be some things in there. Well, I would get like the train, like a train, like from the train station at Christmas. You know, like I have the trees. Really? Yeah, here's a tree. Here's a tree. Here's some rocks from the garden. Put them there. This is five high. These two rocks, ten high. Everybody clear on this? Fantastic. Is um,
0: that kind of small though? Because a chessboard's only
2: what? Uh, is it eight by eight? It, it depends. And you like I Whatever. had. A, you know a, what
1: that does make me think of though. And it's something that I've, I've wanted to possibly play with is the idea of uh, PDMs, uh, Dungeon Crafts, the Universal Dungeon Terrain. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Where it's, like, with, with Marvel, it's, in essence, ranges, right? It's melees, it's range, it's out of the room. Um, that can be kind of cool, too, but it, it makes me think of that tone when you're talking about the um, the chessboard. It becomes more yeah. more abstract as opposed to concrete, Yeah.
0: In- And they are really neat, and I'd recommend if anyone's interested in this kind of solution, take a look at uh, take a look at Dungeon Craft Professor Dungeon Masters' uh, take on that. They've done quite he's got a lot of videos on it. What you essentially do is you get a lazy Susan, you uh, glue a foam foam board to the top of it. In and in kind of mark it with grids. And then you uh, you basically do some work to distress it, to, to make it look like the dungeon terrain you want or like the outdoor terrain you want. And then you can just pop stuff on it. But it does mean you, you're really dealing with a close-up kind of battle, though. And it doesn't, like, I mean, a lot of my battles tend to cover more distance because I want to give the party more Well, that's the, fact, and it's that's not what the part- thing
1: with it, where Tony's idea with the chessboard yeah. becomes this... If it's not a concrete representation where it's five-foot squares but it's the concept of the ranges. So I think what he does is the inner circle is melee. So if you're within that inner circle, you are within melees, you Mm. can attack the person within that round. If you're in the next one out, you're within range of the person. You could fire a bow, you could whatever, but you can't hit them with a sword. If you're on the farthest one, I think you are now out of the room, out of the dungeon, you're around the corner, whatever. So it becomes a little more abstract. Uh, as opposed to a lot of mapping, which is very tactical, five-foot squares, blah, 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 all of that. You
0: know, I mean, if, if, if you're if you're interested in that, check that out, because it's a totally different yeah. way to look at it, and he's done some really cool things with it. That's Dungeon Craft with Professor Dungeon Master. Sorry, go ahead, Tony. Yeah,
2: I mean, honestly, the other ends of this, though, or if you use dungeon tiles or a pre-made mm-hmm. map, I found that like sometimes I've been playing a campaigns where we're on the same map four times, and that's <laughs> right. not the end of the yeah. world but yeah. on, on the flip side of that like I have three three of the large dragon figurines I got the white, the black, and the blue yeah. who I've all officially used once, so it's like I have this 50, yeah. uh, at the time I bought it for like a $50 prop that I get to roll out once in one campaign, like aha here is the white dragon for like the Christmas game you're fighting oh. this guy and then that's then put you back forever it makes well, Tony, I'm just, makes me I'm think just of saying the, uh,
0: just just oh, say you ever cool. really want to make sure we use your dragons. You know, you want to run a Council of Worms game. Well, I'll
1: tell you what, it's one of the reasons when I was coming back into this and I went with Pathfinder over 5E was because of the gloss that they were selling you in the beginner box for Pathfinder, because it came with a lot of stuff, including pawns and the flip map, the driver's flip mat. So one side is just you know, it looks like sand, and it's all gridded out. You can draw on it whatever you want. The other side is the first initial dungeon, and I have used that dungeon in this ways three or four different times and just blocked it off, or I turned the map, or I, you know, and I, I, like Thorin, like you said, I built some of the idea of the dungeon around. I was like, oh, well, this could be this instead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I definitely have u- reused the maps. But, yeah, Tony, like you're saying, that can start to get a little... Um, but
0: actually, Tony, if you've got yeah. kind of, like, if you've got kind of the like like the like the uh the, the model railroad stuff that you're using for terrain, getting a getting a mat like cause Dave, you've you've got like the rollout one, right? That's like it's like four by six or something, or like three by five. It's 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 a big amount of terrain where you're not limited to the chessboard. Oh, but you can do board. the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a
0: big play. So you might want to look into that. It's dry erase, so you can just change the map whenever you want and you can throw stuff yeah, on top a of it. Whole- they have
1: whole sets of them where they're literally like you can unroll them like like blueprints and uh, of different sizes and stuff. But at some point, yeah,
2: you just start to... you know you want to put you want to be a collection of obscure figures. Like how many times have I got to use my Death Titan? I mean, honestly, how many?
0: <laughs> there, there's That's... a guy we run into all the time. Yeah, I've I've got the Chain Golem. I don't think I've ever, I've used him like once or twice. I've used him for many things. I don't think I've ever actually put a chain golem golem in a game. (laughs) 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 That's that's actually got to be one of the things. That's one of the challenging things about D&D minis. And I can understand how it's challenging from their point of view too, because they sell D&D minis as a collectible minis game, which means they need chase rares. Chase rares need to be things that people really want to get However, if you make things people use all the time, chase rares, that kind of sucks. And it, it actually it, it, makes, it makes D&D minis less popular for the use they want them to be used with, because people will go find other ways to solve that. So they tend to make their chase rares really cool figs that are, like, things you don't use very often. Which, it makes them cool, but at the same time, it's like, okay, now I don't use it very often. Like, how often do I use a chain golem? Yeah, it's a great sculpt. they really cool, really detailed, but, like, is it even in that <laughs> edition? Uh, <laughs> How many campaigns can I work around this one? I I do have a pit fiend, which is nice. I got to work him in at some point. I got I got several of the drag of the of the yeah I got yeah can't. <laughs> <laughs> i'll donate him to slaver's bags i think dave's more likely to use a pit fiend than any of the rest of us um i have uh yeah dave's making a note right now remember you could use oh, pit possibly. fiend. <laughs> now there's there's
1: funny enough you guys have already run across a pit fiend in slaver's bay i'll just leave it at that it,
0: it did not look like a pit fiend, to fiend. it did not it did oh not interesting. It interesting not completely
1: different yeah Regardless, I mean, that's, yeah. that's so high-level campaign stuff. <laughs> you can't roll out a pit fiend on a fifth-level party. That's fucked up.
0: That's I mean, I did up. throw a Larval Mage, which is like, I think a CR, like, <sighs> Larval Mage in fifth edition is a high CR monster. And I threw it against you guys at 10th level, and you did not have a hard time with it. Like, well, it was, you also kept him. Oh, you mean just recently? Yeah, when you actually, when you yeah. actually killed it. When you yeah. guys actually, when you guys actually turned it into a pile of bugs and proceeded to to, to toast those well, bugs, and and, and,
1: as we've talked about many times, the CR becomes a uh, it's some guidelines, but you have to start throwing it away at some point. But
0: anyway, so, yeah, so I mean, you know, it's funny because we're talking about all this stuff, and on the one hand, it's like okay, as we come back together in person to game, these are some things we gotta we'll have to be able to do, and like we're trying to figure out okay, how, how do we get back to doing these things that we haven't had to do. On the other hand, I do find it exciting to bring or break our minis back out. I find it exciting to break out Scott's terrain. You know, bring he he actually right. So so our, our player Scott, who does the he actually runs uh, paper terrain, which you can actually go to his website. You can you can buy paper terrain there uh, for 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 minis and wargaming, and it's basically terrain you can print out or get a printout sent to you that you build. You can basically fold into on table terrain. It's it's neat stuff. So he made a temple. A a flooded temple. I don't even call it a map playset. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he we had a water we had a water mat
1: that a water looking mat that was five foot squares, and then he built out the different columns and 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 land masses that you had kind of given them a sense of what was going to be there and then placed yeah. them onto the the water. So it's map. actually
0: the, there are actually there are no grids in that one that one we use uh, we use a in Scott brought this in. We use a minis gaming trick. You use. Um, uh, oh, you, that's you fine. use you use measuring sticks that are cut to certain lengths. So we have a 30 foot measuring stick to just see where you can go which does mean the party doesn't get the benefit from my whole square movement deal, but it's still pretty cool. And it's, it's an awesome, awesome, uh, you know, sculpt he made, you know, it's neat. It's got this kind of uh it's, it's got this neat water effect under all these islands it's got a tree with an altar on it. Like it's, it's really, really cool. I think he even has a light in that underneath the tree. I think there might even be oh, a light. Oh yeah, there. there was. Yeah, it was like castle Grayskull. I mean, this is like. <laughs> I mean, he. It's, I it's have a, the power. Yes. I mean, yeah. It was. It, it really was like. I mean, it's made out of more like foam core and stuff. But like in terms of quality, it looks like as good as like uh, something you would get from uh, Dwarven Forge.
1: It, Dwarven, looks awesome. it looks exactly like Dwarven Forge. It's just different materials.
0: Yeah. In absolutely. the last in-person game we played, the party got to there, <laughs> we showed it to them, we broke the game, and we never played in person again. And then He made, made this breaking. thing. Yeah, yeah. He made this thing. We have not gotten to use it. We did use pictures of it in World 20. We, we have never actually used it in person. And I promise you, we will go back to that temple if we get back together. There we is reason to go back there. Yes, well, there is. That is the, where you need to take the Orb of Odreth to put the Gadanothwa back to sleep. So there is a reason to go back. I will bring you oh, back to really the, right back use down.
2: It. the uh The Larva <laughs> Mage is, is a it down. CR it's been said like
0: 20 times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, Doug. <laughs> Your Larva Mage is a CR-16, so I'm sure they gave that guy the business with uh, six players.
0: Yeah, you weren't there for that
2: game, were you? I did not make that game. And he, no.
0: that's, not a well, right. that's right.
2: That's what we missed, yeah.
0: No, so uh, they were they, they were down a player. It was five player five characters versus a lar lo- five tenth isn't level there characters. I'm
2: the, the seventh
0: player, I thought. Oh, I think yeah, yeah maybe know you're right. Yeah. There is six. There is, so six yeah. six tenth level characters against a larva mage and several other things from kind of that whole star spawn page of the uh that's not the monster manual, I think that's Volos. It's either Volo's, or it's, or it's the other one. Like I mean, he, he, him with support in the party still mopped the floor with them. Like I mean, so yeah, I'm keeping track of what actually challenges the party, so I'll know, you know, when, when it does come time, time to meet the Malbion, this powered up Archmage. Uh, I'll have a good, good, good power yeah. level. That goes back to that quantum evolution of things, where the Goblin turn into a
1: hobgoblin because, oh yeah, they got too powerful. He's a hobgoblin now.
0: Well, no, he's <laughs> yeah. he's he's always been an ancient overpowered Elven Archmage. So he was an Archmage before he started sacrificing Elves to God and He has sacrificed pretty much the entire race to God and at this point. He is very powerful. He is already overclocked for an Archmage. How overclocked, We'll see. You know, there's certain yeah. things I already know he can do and the rest of it where well, we're going to have to wait and see. A lot of question marks here. A lot of question marks here. Who actually controls God and in that encounter? That's going to be interesting.
2: So with the overdone terrains, I do remember seeing from, on, I think it was Facebook, The one very ambitious individual made an entirely styrofoam, a color styrofoam playset, also with three dimensional planetoids above it. So there was like no gravity in this room. So they could end up on one of these spheres and they were all marked out. And I'm like, is this your job? Like, yeah, I do put a, I do put a lot into it when I uh, I go for something like that, but holy shit, I'm like, yeah. like did you spent a weekend yeah. just doing the map? More than a week. I weekend. think those things are
1: awesome. I've seen, there's one guy on Facebook that does these massive, like, dungeons and jungles and stuff on a huge, like, the way you would put a train set out, that level table, yeah. and I'm like, that's awesome, and I would love to play in that, but the idea of, like, that's what my live game is going to look like. That is, that's just not, that's not the thing, you know. If I'm on TV, if I'm, you know, if I'm Critical Role and I'm live streaming to a 100,000 people on, you know, at, at a time, then, yeah, I'm going to build that stuff out. But, yeah, like, no, I got, I got to build the story. I got to get, you know, you get a couple maps, you get a couple figs at the end.
0: <laughs> look, I spent for sure. Yeah, I mean, prepping for our Call of Cthulhu game, I spent, uh, I basically read the adventure, you know, yeah. and I got, I still got done that like five minutes after we were supposed to start the game, and I just jumped in and played. I mean, so I had, on that Call of Cthulhu game, where I got on roll 20, I did it on about two hours of prep for, oh. for the game, from a module. Having said that, as you saw, so I usually when I run a Call of Cthulhu game Roll20, I will pull the images out and put them into Roll20 so the party can see the characters and the maps and I have some visual references. I didn't have time to do that because that is a real kind of – I got to basically – Copy the image from the PDF, put the P, put that into Photoshop, save it as a JPEG in Photoshop, load it into Roll 20 separately because you can't copy into Roll 20. And that whole process takes a little while. Like it, yeah. it, it, it it takes what could just be a copy paste and it turns it into a whole image conversion thing, which is really annoying. So I wasn't able to do that this time. So I was just kind of holding the book up in front of my webcam to show the party what was there (laughs) and so in two hours that's how far i got and i think it ran pretty well i mean i don't know how how you guys feel but i I think that uh i think that ran pretty well for something i prepped in two hours
2: that was definitely an enjoyable game and i don't feel like in that game we didn't cover any ground because we actually completed you know check marks on you know the journal so to speak You, you know we met luke's character we got to the place where the mystery is unfolding. We interviewed several people, got several clues. So a lot definitely happened. Yeah, Although- also,
1: you have half of a four-hour session. So we're doing four-hour sessions, which I think is actually really good practice because yeah. it, it builds those muscles of, of time management, right? Which then, if you have a lot more open time, you can you, you have more ability to play with. But we spent the first hour and a half to two hours on Great role play and stuff, but it was in between adventure stuff. It was, you know, my character and Chris, my brother's character, you know, seeking, uh, you know, psychiatric help to help with our insanity. You know, it was people, you know, going around town and, you know, shopping or doing whatever. So a lot of it was that. So half the session was that. So there was only so much of the adventure that you could really get to with the next two hours you know so i thought that we did cover a good amount of ground because we did that whole in between adventures thing, which we haven't played a lot with in most of our campaigns to to date right we don't do a lot of it with woodstock we just started to do a little bit um because you you know you were getting that feedback so you started to Mm -hmm. institute it but for the most part it was somewhat episodic within the woods storm kings we specifically it was episodic it was you're at your next point on the map you know yeah um Strahd you guys are just in Barovia so yeah if you want to go to the inn and drink some wine other than that like you're in a domain of dread I don't there's not a lot of sightseeing (laughs) to be had you know so this is the first time we've really played with some of the what's happening in between adventures or investigations or whatever
0: in Call of Cthulhu, I want to do more of it. Now, the tricky thing in Call of Cthulhu, and this is going to be tricky if we take it live, I do a fair amount of looking up stuff on my computer as we're playing to add historical detail to the game. Because it is a game, we were yeah. saying this in the last game, it is almost like, you know, history buff the RPG. It is a game that really yeah. benefits from, if you can drop in some, okay, we're in 1927, here's something going Which on in 1927. you made the point. You made the very specific point
1: as the keeper that, the history trumps the rules of the game, you know, so yeah, we be- show that history does it, then you're fine with that. You
0: know? like, and, and where that came up was in the Call of Cthulhu rulebook. In the 7 rule rulebook, it says that Tommy guns and other weapons like that are illegal. Well, we looked up the actual firearms legislation, and as of that time period, the only rule in the books for Tommy guns is we no you were no longer allowed to send them in the mail to each other. You could still buy the mail order though I think. So um yeah so so yeah the, the the one character Officer McGavin has a Tommy gun. And you know maybe some some things you might have to explain to the police one of the day one of these days. We'll see. We'll see how he that works out.
1: A lot more than a Tommy gun. His downtime is spent <laughs> building a fucking armory.
2: I I think, <laughs> I, think I think that was time well spent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean Officer McGavin I, so that's Tony's character and he is buying up quite a they got a pretty big reward on, the, on their second adventure and, or third adventure, and Officer McGavitt is building quite the armory in Call of Cthulhu, and we'll see how far that gets him and what other kinds of trouble it might get him into, you know? But he's basically become uh-huh. the, I've seen a little bit of the mythos and now I'm a gun nut kind of character.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think that's exactly. a really very fairly accurate way to put it. Yeah, after I met a guy who I shot in the face with a thirty eight special point blank, and he's like, ah, my jaw, then, okay, now we got to take this to the next level.
0: <laughs> I think, you know, at first I was like, oh, you're just getting a bunch of advantage. I thought about it, I'm like, no, this is a very reasonable response for this kind of character to have in the face of the horror he's and okay, we're going to play it. Uh, here you go, yeah, sure, you can have uh, you can have a Tommy gun, you can, you can have some cool stuff, and if, you know, if, if my Call of Cthulhu game is ruined because you shoot something in the face, I don't think I'm playing Cthulhu right.
2: Maybe not. Like that lucky ricochet where I shoot the show goth and it bounces off the wall 14 times
0: with 11 criticals and he, he flatlines. So we have gotten a little bit away from, I guess, yeah, from 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 really kind of the challenges of coming back to live gaming after COVID. You know, one thing I want to talk about a little bit, we've we touched on it some, but in the one game, one. sorry, in the Woodstock Wanderers game, we, all of us were like, we want to get back together in person when we started the, when we move to Roll20. Now we have started to talk about, hey, the June game could be in person. Do you guys want to get in person? And we are definitely getting some pushback on that. I okay. mean, it's, it's. I don't know, how, how do you think we should handle this? Tony, does uh, that I, ruin your good one? Well, not at all. <laughs> I feel like y- you have to listen to the room.
2: And if, you know, yeah. a certain portion of the game is like, the team's like, no, thank you, then I would roll with that. Mine, personally, with in-person uh, issues, this is an odd one. So let's just say we're having a tight game, like four hours, three to four hours, which is basically the whole last second edition D&D campaign I ran. Dave was not part of that, but Thor was. I had not met Dave yet. We would get together after work. I'd have people commuting after work from Warrington to show up at my house in Philly. And, you know, I'd have people running in late. So I would say game time, Let's just say is six. We're on a six to eight game. There are plenty of times I got people, no fault of their own, 45 minutes late
0: thorn you took the train to come I mean we had I think my train to the car and then my car I had to, I had to drive a half hour back to your house it could be 15 minutes but with traffic at that time it was usually yeah. half an hour all, all my hiccups
2: in you know the mechanics of what makes this up then everyone sh- gets in everyone when they finally arrive in person they all have to kibitz for X amount of time we don't just jump right into it that's not how it works then someone says what are we eating? Now we're looking at the menu, we're passing that around, we're collecting money. That's like getting eight people to agree on what we're getting for dinner is like launching a rocket into deep space.
1: Absolutely. No, you know, I, I knew exactly where you were going with this. I'm Italian home, and i that that, yes. No, that's live gaming, is that it becomes – you have to build it almost – and this – so one of the things – as you said before, Tony, that that the online brings is the ease of commute and the ease of hosting, too, because yes. you log in, you brew your coffee. Oh, it's five minutes till game time. I better brew some coffee and log in. Guys, I'll be two minutes. Hold on. I'm just finishing up my pot, right? Easy. But there is that lack of human interaction. Now we get board game night. We had it over the house here and it was awesome. But I was like, oh, I remember this. You have to get the tables out. You got to get the chairs out. We have to plan. What are we going to do for, you know, Matt was grilling. So no big deal. Right. But we have to get ideas about, okay, well, what are people going to drink and what are people going to eat and, and all of that. And that's awesome. But then people come over and we have a four o'clock start time and we started gaming about seven, seven thirty. Yeah. you know, and that is kind of the same thing with Uh, online games because you're hanging out with your friends. So you want to talk a little bit. You want to have some food. You want to get a drink, you know, and and it's that getting getting started thing, which then pushes a seven o'clock start time to you start at eight thirty. And now you only got, you know, three hours to to finish the game up or something, you know. So there is that balance, too, I think, to be found.
0: I mean, on the flip side, like you said, seeing everyone together in person really seemed to bring us all together. Oh, no doubt. And we had a good time. People got to know each other. People were more sympathetic to each other. And we had a really great time then in the Roll20 game with Call of Cthulhu, in part because everyone had just met. We were extending in jokes. We were running—jokes were running into the game. And that is really valuable. Also, as you say, my energy in person is a bit different. I I do prefer to DM in person. I've gotten, I think, better on Roll20. It's still— you know, in Rule 20, you can still see like these people aren't paying attention. These people are off doing, are kind of like doing their own thing. You know, how do you can I tell if everyone's engaged or not? It's can hard see to see. It's hard place, to tell. I thought that
2: was blacked out.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah but to totally answer your there. question specifically, Thorn, I agree with Tony though. To answer your specific question about like with Woodstock and returning, because that is a very specific group that we have all agreed works the best live. It's just what it is. No, but no, you know, it's that's how a lot of groups are, but. Um, yeah, I think, like Tony said, we have to read the room, um, and we, in essence, pushed the June one and said, let's see where we are. Because as people are heading, so, you know, as we said, vaccines are starting to to push, numbers are starting to improve, but there is still a lot of unknowns, and people still want to be cautious. So it is that, that kind of, they're they're feeling it out, you know, as they kind of step into the world. Um, especially if they haven't been in the world during the time, you know, like with my job, I'm out there, you know, the whole time. So it's, it's what it is. But yeah, so there is that, I think with people return, you have to go with, with the comfortability of the group because trying to force certain people in because others do that, that just creates a different type of tension that then turns into more drama that we have to somehow, you know, navigate our way through, you know? So I think a month to month thing, you know?
0: It's it's a tricky thing a little bit because on the one hand this is a group where everyone in the group was except for Tony came in later uh, everyone in the group's like yeah we, we really want to be in person it was better in person we've run into some problems gaming online uh, that we've talked about we talked about here on 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 the podcast and now everyone is vaccinated and so it's like let's all get back together and you know well. Even though we've kind of had, even even though up until now it's all been, yeah, let's get back together in person, in person, in person, well, now we're getting some balking, even with everyone being vaccinated. And that's a little bit like, uh, it's it's a little bit, I'm I'm all for kind of letting the group kind of decide what they want to do, but it is a little bit of a mixed message. You know what I mean? You're planning one way, and then you kind of push comes to shove, and everyone kind of does the opposite of what they said they were going to do. And that's always a little bit, you know, like, well, you know, is this going to be an online game or is it going to be an in-person game? When do we get everyone back in person? It did have better energy in a lot of ways. We've solved a lot of those issues we had with Roll20 now. It's running well in Roll20 now, I think. To me, it seems to be running pretty well. We get through a little bit less per night. You know, my games tend to be more like a couple encounters per night, not like six or seven encounters per night. Yeah, we're, we're going to need to see where it goes, but that is one of the challenges. Of uh, we have, I think a lot of people probably out there have games that the games that did successfully move to roll twenty. Now, okay, you gave up some personal interaction to get to roll twenty. You gave up some of the some of the in person experience. Yeah. But now it's like okay, it's easier to do it on roll twenty. It's more convenient. People have kind of gotten used to not having to go leave their house. So now how do you get people back out together and and gaming together in person again, if that is what you want, if you're a DM who would prefer to be gaming in person, what do you do about that? Well, it's a very tricky dynamic in
2: the respect that I have a very different outlook as I'm playing four and five campaigns versus back. I look at two years ago and I was in one. So when I played uh, in one game uh, per month, then I had very high expectations of what we got accomplished in that game. Honestly, I'm like, you guys want to fart around and shop for a session. I will stab you under the table. I'm not having that shit. <laughs> I did not wait four to five weeks to watch you dick around and go through the showcase. If you look, what's this? I'm like, there is a plot. We have sob quests. Let's f and go. Send the DM, the DM an email. One of the five weeks we were apart, and that already should be handled. Look, Nick bought a bracelet. Fantastic. I am, look at, I'll make a comment. Nick, that looks beautiful. It matches your eyes. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you turn around, and we get to the, we get in person, and we're doing this, and I was in one campaign, then everything is, of course, going to be slower. I found when I'm running my Roll20 scenarios, and I am running in the middle of four or five games in the course of a month, like, for example, when someone's kids walk in, ask them questions, all right, one player's distracted. When we're all in one room, everything stops. I was running a campaign prior uh, to this as well, which got shut down for COVID, which I never kicked back off. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was a a, a kind of a homebrewed game, more Palladium-styled. And, you, you know, one of the things I don't miss from that is the real-life room-stopping interruptions, which, believe me, happen all the time. It's like, hey, this, something's happening in the house. This, Oh, something's arrived. Oh, there's a neighbor. And it's like, you have a problem? Turn your microphone off. Turn your camera off. You'll come back. Boop. Five minutes, you're done. Versus, mm-hmm. oh, now I'm drawn into, look, it's your neighbor. Hi. We're in a moment of combat. Can't you go F off, please? I don't care that you brought a freaking fruitcake. No, I don't want to meet
0: you. Get out. Yeah, I will say, though, the, the situation we had with Woodstock Wanderers in particular, there aren't kids there, there aren't a lot of distractions there. Occasionally, yeah. someone might come over and visit, but it's, it, it isn't really, like, those weren't, we actually have a good, you know, Dave, you know, Dave and Bonnie's house is a good, quiet, roomy place to get together to play a game. Yeah, yeah. so it's a good, lo- it's a good location. It's not like we're trying to kind of, you know, fight with another, like, six people in the household or doing something else, you know, so it's. Um, yeah, we're not sharing
1: you know, space. And yeah. we also added we, we started to figure out Tony's other issue. because uh, if you guys can't tell, Tony's a very serious DM. If you're not if you're not doing some stuff, he's gonna fucking kill you. But um In with, out of like, game, I'll kill you. No, because like you know, when you're getting together, you're you you want to eat, you wanna have drinks. So we actually started to like the week that we're gonna be gaming, right? We're getting we're getting together that Friday. We yeah. would start throwing out emails within the within the texturing. Hey, what do you guys want to do? And we would kind of get stuff ordered so that it's there when we'll show up, and we could. Or if we were cooking or something, it's ready, so we can eat a little bit, get our you know get the dice out, you know, fart around a little bit, and then when game time starts, you can just be in game time, you know. Yeah. So there were definitely some workarounds for that.
0: And I think, you know, it is one of, it is one of the things I prefer with gaming is even when you're gaming in person, it's great if someone wants to cook and really wants to cook and, and, and they cook and that could be, it could be a great meal. I do kind of feel like no one should have to put themselves out that far. You know, someone's already hosting and they're putting themselves out to host. I'm, I'm really okay with it just being, in fact, I kind of prefer if it's just like, okay, look, we all just order some food or someone brings some food with them. Like we'll pick up barbecue sometimes. We In that way, the person hosting isn't essentially trying to put on a dinner party. Because I feel like that's unfair. <laughs> like it's unfair for one couple to constantly be trying to put on a dinner party every time you get together. And two, it kind of creates an odd vibe in the game. Cause you know, really, if I'm putting on my, I'm putting a lot of effort into running the game, you know, yeah, I don't yes. necessarily have a ton of bandwidth to kind of bring, like, oh, and here's and here's your here's your gift for hosting this week. Like, it's not really – <laughs> it's not a typical <laughs> dinner party. See the cheese tray. It's well, and, nor, and agree, nor, you know?
1: should, nor should the person running the game have to necessarily, in my opinion, kick in the same level of – you know, if everyone's kicking in some money or something, mm-hmm. I think the person running the game shouldn't be held to that same level of standard because they're bringing the fucking game. Like – in a, in a lot of ways you know but you know there are workarounds with that but yeah, yeah. it has
0: to be something where it's I, it's I'm, fair and
1: it's it's equitable
0: like i am personally a fan of if you're getting together to game you can drop the host Expectation, right? Everyone can mm. order, everyone can, or, or just, just pick up some food. Cause that, because I do think it's like you're all getting together to game. You're not necessarily getting together for the, for, for, for the one cup, for like the host, unless they really want to. You're not really getting together for them to host you in the traditional sense with all the expectation that goes along with that, right? They're doing enough work just to provide a, sp- a space where you guys can get together and game comfortably. The DM's doing enough work just in trying to bring this entire thing with them and likely a load of books and minis that their logging They're hungry. That can happen. <laughs> <laughs> everyone you know, Everyone else can kind of bring some food, we can order some dinner. I think that's like a really, that's kind of how I almost that's prefer it. Truth. Just because it's, you know, you wind up with the kind of, the social obligations can make it harder to just enjoy the game. You know, maybe I'm square yeah. that way, right. but I do, I do worry about that sometimes.
2: No, I think that's very fair. And to wrap up a portion of my final point surrounding that topic with being in person and expectations, if I'm playing in multiple games and I get together with somebody and we do a couple of encounters, that's fine. But as a DM, you may have noticed, I don't want to do three encounters in a night. If we did three encounters in a night, I feel like something truly shit the bed. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what happened? You hated the plot, you lost the plot, you shot the plot? I don't understand. Because typically, I'm aiming at somewhere between seven and nine. All of my games, even with inside of a campaign, have, to a degree, a beginning and an end. So that we start. I want you to cover some ground. We want to wrap up. When you conclude, you feel like, hey, this is a great game. I saw where this went. Thanks. You know, and I'll see you next couple weeks.
0: Yeah, I'm you know, and that's kind of where me and you are a little bit opposite styles, DM, because I want to give the characters more room to explore. I want to give the players more room to kind of explore the characters in the world which means letting people shop a bit, which sometimes some players find it I don't know. I, I think, you know, I try to put it off in there, but it's interesting. I try to let you guys kind of do your own thing and role play with each other. But I feel like if I put it too quick, we lose that.
2: I feel like in the Cola Cthulhu game, you did a, a better job with the shopping with the multiple players than we handled with the Woodstock Wanderers. Cause setting seven people in seven different directions is a nightmare. Mm. A couple guys shopping makes sense or everyone group shopping is, is cool yeah. like, like our okay, guys you're here handle it it's letting seven guys go in seven different or gals going or whoever going seven different directions that's just a nightmare for the person running it, it it's a like, lot hey, of hey. that
1: is that's that's different groups right That's gonna yeah. run one is is the amount of people at the table sure mm-hmm. but a big part of that is just certain groups run certain ways and what are you gonna do you know
0: and I tend to want to let the players take that and run a little bit. Because I want, you know, if you want the players to kind of explore the characters and explore the world, you need to give them some freedom of movement to do it. Yeah, you, know, you can't, if, and that is the one thing, the more you keep things kind of on rails, the less the players get to kind of experiment with their characters. So I like loosening that up a little bit. I do think it works a little better in person than in Roll 20, where in Roll 20, people do, are kind of looking for you to just feed them what happens next, I think. Especially in D&D, because they're basically just waiting for you to put out the next battle map, you know? (laughs) And and then then it's all battle map focus. That is fair,
2: but I think what I like to see is the party says, we're going shopping. Or the party says, uh, we're going to go to the cave when we were in the beginning of the Woodstock Wanderers game and somebody just wandered the F off. I'm like, what is happening right now? They're like, oh, I go to town. And I'm like, dude, what what are you doing? Like, we did we agree to do this? And then the Other person's like, I think I'll get a horse and I'll go around. I'm like, we're splitting up like in a Scooby-Doo fiasco? I mean, because I would teach you a lesson right here. I'm like, there's like five ogres with brass knucks in the road. And they're like, hey, jackass, did you wander off by yourself? You look I mean, like an easy
0: target. We had some players in that game who who want it to be able to do more kind of shopping and stuff and, So I kind of did that on purpose, but that's where you start to get into. You know, we talked last week about, you know, players being game for the game and kind of kind of being patient with the other players, too. That's what Uh you get into a little bit. You know, you kind of have to some players want their characters to be able to explore a little more individually, and they don't necessarily want to do everything together as part of the group. Even like in some of the better role playing moments, you know, one character grabbed one other character to discuss her problem. Like it wasn't a whole party role playing situation, which is awkward, but also good role play in that person's getting right. engaged in the game and engaged in the character. Now at the same time, they did wind up pulling in uh, several other characters to the point where it wound up being every male character in that player's bedroom, uh, <laughs> having a not at all suspicious conversation. <laughs> I think,
1: uh, I think a lot of that in terms of what we're, what Tony's talking about, there's uh, maybe it's because I grew up with certain shows and stuff, but there's something to be said about a growing story. And I, I the first thing that came to mind was like Star Trek, the next generation, not every episode was part one and two of Locutus of Borg,
0: yeah. right?
1: But the only thing that made the Locutus of Borg, the best of both worlds thing work, which was a great two-parter, was because they had spent times where, you know, the whole episode is Data learning how to paint and talking to Spot, his Hat, you know, and maybe a little something happens, or Picard is on vacation on Ryza and gets into some sort of crazy Indiana Jones caper. And so, a lot of those beats have to happen within the story. So, for me, whenever I'm running, there's the, the session is going to go the way the session goes in some ways. And if that's a little more role play, I can put more combat in the next time to even it out upbeats, beats, sideways beats. But there is that building of the story that then kind of makes it matter, like we just did with Call of Cthulhu, where you know half the last session was before the adventure, you know, from the last adventure to the new one. But that builds part of the story, too, I yeah. think.
0: Well, I think um, it is more what Tony's talking about is, isn't isn't so much the, that it is role playing. It's that it's. It's allowing it's the how long do you let an individual character go solo role play? Mm. That's the tricky thing. And I think that is a hard thing to balance because you're 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 balancing what different players find annoying or enjoyable about playing uh, D&D. You know, some players, you know, like like what Tony's talking about, you, you know, really they get frustrated when you're have letting everyone have a moment and go sh- and kind of go shopping or go do something separate because it might mean half an hour till you come back to them and ask them to do something. Whereas the other players may really want to go do that specific thing to their character or they don't feel like they're like they're getting to enjoy their character. So it's 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 balancing that, which is always a tricky part indeed. You know, How do you balance? There's what you want to get done. There's the way you want to run the game. And then there's how these other four, five, six, seven people want to play their characters. Oh, and okay. how do you balance that when sometimes what one player wants to do is going to annoy another player? And part of it is just in DMing, you know, we got to be a little quicker getting them back on track and getting back around the table to ask other people what they're doing. That is definitely something I think I could have done better in that particular uh, in that particular uh, scene. I could have gotten around the table better. Um, I could have gotten back to making sure everyone got, got, got a spotlight quicker. And I tried to do that with the Call of Cthulhu, which is maybe why it worked better. Um, but there is, like this that, that balancing act. Because on the one hand, you have seven players. If all seven players wanted to do, go do something alone, well, now it's going to be like an hour before you get back to one of them. You know, it's just, it's I think just seven some players. Of that,
1: I do think some of that, too, is one of the things I'm looking for uh, with the return to the live games. Because yeah. around the table, I still say... That stuff plays differently around the table than on um, on a virtual tabletop. I, I kind of, still think it does. Yeah. Which that is kinda interaction.
0: And that's why I want to get back together in person. You know, because I think like in, in this is also a game where some of the players have never met each other in person. So like there's not, you know, we haven't had that's that, true. you know, you bonding with Luke moment for that game. That yeah, game is just true. everyone just knows each other from their online interaction. So there hasn't been the chance for people to really kind of be a little more, you know, kind of build that rapport with each other a bit. Uh, so I'd like to get that back together. But yeah, guys, we've been going on for a while. I think we need to get to final thoughts here, but I feel like there's a lot on the table still. So let's mm. talk about, you know. Do you want to bring your campaigns back in person? And if so, how do you go about it?
2: Well, I really, for the entirety of this podcast, have been sounded like I'm pretty dead against it. However, <laughs> I, I mean, to be really fair, I'm, I look, if you look at the transcript, I think the writing is on the wall. However, one thing I miss from the in person interaction is I have much more of control of what everyone wants to do as the players. And I'll qualify that statement. Like, for example, if someone wants to say, hey, I, I want to chime in. I can hear and see around the room. And when I'm on you know, Zoom or Skype, sometimes when someone's talking, it completely sucks off all the other sound for anybody else. So unless I happen to glance at someone else's monitor, I don't see someone talking. And guess what? You just got skipped for 10 minutes. My bad. Oops. So that cuts yes. into that dramatically and that's that's a really a big benefit for the 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 total of your game
0: so you're trying to bring people back together and if so how
2: well i gotta tell you this is what the, the map i have in my head i would like to we got four active games right now maybe one of them is in person I think that's the formula. We get the. I don't know that I would do all four because then that's a lot of commuting. That means I'm going somewhere every Friday night to meet up with D&D. Mm-hmm. If Dave's hosting for F's sake, I might as well like start giving this guy rent. I'm gonna be at his house every <laughs> Friday night. Uh, it's be a lot of a lot of that going on. I, I certainly would love a in-person D&D game, but I mean, really, I mean, but when you have four others, you can play bi-weekly and you can play weekly. And back in the day, we used to do that, but it's it's very consuming for all the reasons we talked about. We're calling for food. We're all driving or commuting. We don't If we all lived 15, 10 minutes away, that's a piece of cake, but there's so many other factors involved in that. We're lugging minis around, you know, and if I'm also running a game that's, you know, a couple of scenes a night, that's not so bad, but then I'm running 15 scenes and bring 400 minis and a pound of graph paper, then, you know, it's a little nutty.
1: Yeah, I, um, I I definitely am bringing, I want to bring uh, the games back to life, including the ones that we have never done live, like Strahd. But, and I'll say this the same way I say about a lot of what happened with, uh, with the pandemic, <clears throat> especially surrounding like education. Because I always make the point that like a lot of colleges and stuff already had a lot of infrastructure to, to do online learning and virtual learning, right? Blackboard, Teachable, all those things. High schools were kind of like, go figure it out. And that's kind of how gaming uh, culture went too, I think. <laughs> there were definitely some people who were the college level who were already on Discord. That's how they got together. For instance, in Woodside Wanderers, uh, Scott's uh, daughter, that's mm-hmm. the only way that she was playing was via Discord and, and Roll20 or, or you know Foundry, whatever it was. So that's normal for them. So this was like, this is no big deal, right? So in the same way, I think this adds accessibility. So I would actually probably like to do a half-and-half half kind of thing. I don't think every single session, for instance, in Stroud, has to be in person. One, the commute and everything else that's entailed with it. But some of them, I absolutely would want to because there is something that happens at the table that is what makes this. I don't think this hobby would have ever lasted if it was only ever virtual from the very beginning of it. I just... I don't think so. And then my second point, uh, so half and half. And then I definitely, I'm a big map guy, and minis and all this kind of stuff. So I am uh, bringing that back, like I started to bring it back with the Icewind Dale campaign. So we'll see how that runs because I got <laughs> real used to uh, having, you know, the entire map of Yester Hill. Boop, there it is. Okay, just shade off certain sections, you know. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see if I uh, if I do a half and half on that between. Um, tactical and
0: theater of the mind. Yeah. And for me, I mean, as you're probably picking up, I'd like to move some of these games back to in person. I think we're all in agreement on one thing. I don't know if we need a live game every week. You know, we're doing, we're doing four, four games right now. We'll probably get back to a fifth at some point. Just a matter of who wants to launch something new. I don't know that we need to do that live every week. I would like Slaver's Bay to go, or no, I'm sorry, not Slaver's Bay. Well, I would like Slaver's Bay back too. I don't know <laughs> what you're planning, but I would like to get back. Hannibal, the Cannibal Moon Druid, was a lot of fun. In a lot of ways, that was a fun game. I'd love to get back to that, especially given what you know now about the Emmings. I think you'd, I know you had some, there were, there were some of the tricky things in that, and I bet you could do, I bet you. You could really bang, knock it out of the park now, having, having been yeah. through this last year in the lab we've been in. I've it. been training. I've been doing yeah. a Rocky
1: montage for montage. years. So.
0: Gotta be a montage. <laughs> I, I'd really like to get uh, Woodstock Wanderers back together, although I'd be open to doing occasional kind of like, okay, we can do this one online instead of in person. But I want to get back to using Scott's Terrain. You know, I want to get back to using the minis. We put a lot of investment into that, and I think the game worked better when we were all together in person. We also have a player who might come back in. Yeah. I'd love to get her back in. Some of the other ones can go either way. But like maybe we can do like in person specific games in person. You know, like you were talking about doing me you know, Maybe all of Curse of Strahd doesn't go in person, but maybe the actual showdown with Strahd is. You know, oh, maybe God, the right? Halloween game is right. Because yeah. I mean, because we all know you want to put on a cape and put some face <laughs> and DM with 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 with, uh, with some white face paint on. <laughs> the-
2: <laughs> plastic bags like yeah, the chandelier. keyboard
1: out and learn a couple. <laughs> we're getting numbers. <laughs>
0: For the other games, I mean, some of the games are fine, are, are, are working just fine over 20 including, oddly enough, Call of Cthulhu. Now, that might work a little better in person. I'd like to try, I'd like to get together in person at some point, but it seems to be okay online. And some of the other stuff, the Marvel games working fine online, so I don't know if we need to move it all on, back to in person, but I want to start moving. You know, I want to start bringing us back together and kind of, you know, yeah. It's time. it's time we started getting back to a little bit of normalcy. I say in my politician voice and, and and start trying to pull, you know, just, just try to bring it back to what we, to the way it used to be. Although, yeah, I think we've also kind of crossed the digital Rubicon here and it's never going to go all the way back to live gaming. I think gaming online is really convenient, great in a lot of ways, We've worked out a lot of what we're, we didn't necessarily love about it in the beginning, and I think we've made a lot of strides with it. So gaming online is probably here to stay. I'd like some of this to move back back to in-person. And my plan is to start, like, well, let's see what, how people feel about Woodstock Wanderers and see, you know, if we get a few of those back together in person, let's see what people think about it. Maybe we come also, together and go, yeah. back to, go back to online. I don't know. What we'll see, you know. But well, we'll see how it goes. I yeah, think that's well, it. Said. Guys, thanks a lot for talking this out. I feel like this is one of our more open-ended ones. Like, we should come back and revisit <laughs> this in, like, two months and talk about how – and where are we then? But Dave's like, get these people the hell out of my house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going to be so sick of us.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's, a, it's always a fun time. And I will say the energy of being in person is different. You don't get – when you're online, you start to get tired. One of the games go in, you get distracted. Yeah. It just happens no matter how focused and good a player you are or a good DM. It doesn't matter. There is something about human interaction that's just – that's we are social creatures. Yeah. So that's, that's my question. final, final
0: thought. Yeah. The guys, thanks again. Great talking to you about this stuff. For all of you listening to us at home, thank you very much for tuning in for another episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this particular episode was not based on a reader question, but many of our episodes are. So if you'd like to hear us talk about an issue that's uh, specific, that, that you're interested in, please send that to threewisedms at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter it into the what's your problem field. Or we are very active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can talk to us there. We're always listening, always looking for new ideas, new stuff to talk about. And I'd say a lot of our episodes are really answering reader questions. So please send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you'd love to hear us talk about. That works, right? Sort of. Seems to work, yeah. yeah.
1: No doubt. (laughs) Yeah.
0: also if you have not been to three please go check that out we post an article there every week so if you like the podcast there's about twice as much content on our website head over there and see if you like it and if you like this podcast please smash that five star rating button give us a review tell your friends we really appreciate all the help our audience has given us in growing the podcast has taken off thank you very much for that we appreciate all the support that's it for this week we'll see you next time on three wise dms